So far, what we've seen is that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the living water. Um, he is the light of life. And now what we're going to see is Jesus actually gives life. He says in this, one of his I am statements, I am the resurrection and the life. This is actually Jesus' last miracle before he is resurrected. So before he goes to the cross, this is the very last miracle that he does. And it is also, may I add, the most powerful miracle that Jesus actually resurrects this person, Lazarus, from the dead. You know, different religions believe different things about life after death. Some say that there's this concept called reincarnation, that if you die, you kind of get to do a do-over. And you just keep on dying, you know, you're resurrected as an ant or an elephant or whatever, I guess. And, and then you just keep on trying because when you're not good, you have to relive your life and, and outdo those, those good deeds or those bad deeds that you've done in your life. Other religions say that you just, nothing happens, you just die. But what happens with all the things that you've accomplished in your life? Death seems to be the interesting thing in which um, many people, if not all people, are, have been fascinated, confused, hurt. Death just seems to be the great equalizer for everyone. And unfortunately, many people like to say, a lot of atheists like to say, that there is no meaning to our lives because there's no meaning after we die. You just go into the grave and that's it. But we can't really live our lives that way because if we all die, then, doesn't, then why is death so hurtful? Why is there a part of us that, that mourns, that weeps when people die? If it's just a natural process and we're all just kind of put here by circumstances or random chance and people live and then people die, why should we mourn over that? But I think the pain of death shows us that we weren't meant to just live and die. But death actually means something. And you see, God doesn't just think death is a natural thing either. In fact, death was never part of the plan. And what we see here in this chapter is that Jesus himself is upset at this enemy called death. And he does something about it. Let's read in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. So he's just giving you a sneak peek. That's going to be in chapter 12. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man, or Son of God, excuse me, may be glorified through it. Now, we see that this is a similar theme to the blind man. Remember, two weeks ago, we were learning about the, the man who was born blind, and they asked Jesus, was this man born blind because of his sin or his parents' sins? And Jesus says, neither, but that God's hand, his glory, his power could be shown through him. And you see, it was the same thing with Lazarus. Right here, they're saying, your friend is sick, and Jesus says, your, his sickness is not unto death. And then you read the rest of the passage, you're like, but he dies. So what does he mean his sickness is not unto death? What Jesus was saying, and this is a message for all of us as believers, is that for people that believe and trust in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, death is never the end of the story. It is a passage 
to see God's glory. For the believer, death is never the end of the story. It's just a pathway to see God's glory. I'm not saying it's not hurtful. I'm not saying it's not painful. But you see, it doesn't just end there. And people that place their trust in Jesus, when you hear that, that is good news. Because it's not just hope. It's not just kind of wanting to believe something's true. But because it is truth, we can believe the best news about life. And that is it doesn't end in agony. It doesn't end in pain. But it continues on. If you place your trust in Jesus, you never have to worry about what's going to happen after you die. Because you know that the life uh, to come is infinitely greater than the life we live now. You don't have to store up your treasures here on earth. You don't have to hope that you get every, every second, you know, worthwhile while you're here. And, you know, I, I think it's funny because a lot of us are hoping like, oh, I hope Jesus doesn't come back before, you know, I get married. And I hope I, hope I get to go and do this before Jesus comes back. You know, there's just a part of you that's natural. It naturally thinks that, you know. There's so many things you want to do in this life. But think about it. Is heaven not good enough? That we want to push back heaven. Just wait a little bit, God. Let me take care of the things I have here on earth before you come back. And then, depending on your theology and what you believe about the millennial period, we here at Calvary Chapel, believe that you actually get a million years before the new heavens and new earth are, arrive. And so what that means is, if you think about this, Pastor Lloyd just taught on this in Revelation last year, which is really exciting. If you think about this, if you, in this life, don't get to go to Australia, like, oh, man, I really wish I got to go to Australia before I died. You'll have a thousand years to go visit Australia. That's awesome. Like, you could think about what music will sound like if you're playing the same instrument for a thousand years. Think about how good you can get out of a sport or anything else. It's amazing. It's like, so who cares whether we get to go to that place or this place or whatever, just be led by the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Because that's what's going to make my life count is when I focus not on this life, but on the next one and what God has for me. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to think about our sickness being unto death, like it's the end. Be so caught up in like, oh, no, what if, what if I do die? What if I'm saying, oh, man, I have... All these things happening because there are some serious things that get us down. I'm not saying that we're supposed to pace on a spot and be like, ah, it doesn't bother me that I'm sick. But realize that Jesus has something better. And because Lazarus died, he was able to do the greatest miracle thus far. Continues on, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love that too. He mentions how much that Jesus loves these people. You know that Jesus loves you. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. He will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking 
rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. A lot of things to soak in right there in that passage. The first thing is, it talks about how much Jesus loves these people. And then it says, and because of that, he, that's why he stayed where he was for two more days. And it's like, well, Jesus, if you care, wouldn't you go right away to heal Lazarus? Why did you wait two days? That's kind of counterproductive, right? It's like, can you imagine you're in the hospital and you're texting your friend and like, man, you, I just need some company. Can you come visit me? Like, yeah, I'll see you in two days. In two days. What do you have going on? Oh, just nothing, but, you know, I care about you so much. I'm just going to wait two days. Why is it that Jesus waited two days? You see, there was a belief back then that while you died, within three days, your spirit, your soul kind of hovered around your body. I don't know, it's just a weird belief they had. It's not biblical or anything, but they just believe this. Your soul kind of hovered around your body for three days, and after the fourth day, it departed. So there was absolutely no chance of your soul returning to your body after that. And so what Jesus actually did is he waited two days on purpose so that his power could be attributed to no one else but God. He didn't want to give them a chance, an excuse to be like, oh yeah, well, you know, of course, well, we know that he probably, maybe he, he wasn't really dead. Maybe his soul entered back after he died or whatever. So Jesus wanted to make sure that they could give no one credit but God for doing this miracle. Also, something else to point out is that sometimes God will delay. Sometimes God will ask you to wait. You ever ask God for something and he doesn't give it to you right away? Lord, I pray that you just give me direction. Lord, show me what to do. Next day, Lord, yeah, I prayed that yesterday. I, I don't know if you heard me, so I'm going to pray it again. Show me what to do. Next week, okay, God. I don't know what I, I maybe there's sin in my heart. Maybe you're just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening right now right? Sometimes God asks us to wait. Sometimes God delays. Why is that? Think about it for a second. Why is it that God delays? Why is it that he doesn't just answer right away? You see, God's decision to delay is refusal to be manipulated. It's God's refusal to just give in to our demands. And it also teaches us patience. It teaches us to have faith. If God is telling you to wait for something, he's asking you to place your trust in him even when things are cloudy and things don't really make sense. So maybe you're in that place right now and God would tell you, hey, be patient. You can't be patient unless there's something to wait for. And it also causes you to have that deeper trust in God. Like Abraham, when he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, you realize that God didn't tell Abraham why. God didn't tell Abraham, hey, I need you to sacrifice Isaac because it's going to be a picture of Jesus. And I know it's a long story, but let me just explain it to you anyway. He just asked him to offer that sacrifice. And Abraham trusted, and we learn from Hebrews, that he trusted so much so that he believed even if God didn't change his plans or change his mind or whatever, he would be able to resurrect Isaac from the dead. He said, I don't know how you're going to do this, God, but I know you've promised to me that I'm going to have so many descendants that I can't even count them, as many as the stars, the Bible says. I know you promised to me. 
I know it's going to come true, and therefore I will wait as long as it takes. Maybe God has promised you something, and he has said something to you. He has a calling on your life and says, I want you to be a leader. I want you to use your gift of music. I want you to use this sport for me. I want you to use that gift of compassion. I want you to do this, and I, I have a plan for you. And you're waiting for it to come, and the door hasn't opened. And God would say to you to wait. His timing is perfect. And that's why he says that kind of cryptic saying. He says, you can only walk while you're in the, in the light. There's 12 hours in a day. What was he saying? He's saying, while I'm here on this earth, I'm going to make sure I'm making the most of it. Because there will come a time in which it'll be dark and then I can't work. There will come a time in which you're dead and you can't do anything. But while you're, on, you're here on this earth, be in line with God's timing, not your own. Don't be so worried about what's going to happen. You see, the disciples got confused, right? Later on, they're like, wait, hold on. We're going back to Judea? Didn't we just get kicked out? Like if we've been following along in the book of John, remember, in chapter 7, their opinions were divided. People were just yelling. And, and then Jesus says, I am. And they, they try throwing stones at him. And all this stuff is happening. And so they're like, why are we going back there? We just got kicked out of there. But you see, it doesn't matter. As long as you're submitted to God's timing, you can't do anything wrong. You realize this. God has an appointed time for you to, to be born and an appointed time for you to die. You cannot die before that appointed time. You're kind of invincible until the day that God has for you to die. Isn't that kind of interesting? Like you will not die. Like God won't be like, oh man, I can't believe that you died sooner than I planned. Now, some of you might be like, well, what if I decide to jump off a bridge and then I died? Well, that was your appointed time. So don't do that, guys. But your life is in God's hands, in his timing, in his plans. And, though, and that's why Jesus says, listen, I got I to gotta go. I got to work. I got to do my things. And so they were going, and he was assured that he was not going to die before his appointed time to be crucified. And so what's really interesting to me is what the disciples said right after that. Look at verse 12. It says, if he sleeps, he will get well. So Jesus is saying, yeah, don't worry, he's just sleeping. And like, well, why are we going to wake him up? Like, I, if, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. Why are we going to go? And he's like, Lazarus is dead. That's what I'm trying to say to you guys. You realize a lot of us are trying to solve God's problems for him. Like, God, here's a solution, and I know what we can do to make the plan work. Like, even with the, the whole thing that I just talked to you about with this whole youth rally. Like, some of us might have our plans. Like, God, I know exactly how we're going to make your kingdom advance. I know exactly how we're going to get the most people to come to this youth rally. And God could say, yeah, well, what are you talking about? Like, I have my own plans. He may want to just toss the whole thing and just bring people out of nowhere for no reason. It's like, oh, I was just riding my bike and felt like stopping by this youth rally. I don't know. But I'm not going to sit around and be like, well, I'm, I'm going to, let's see what happens. But faith means that you trust and you do good. You put your faith into action. Whenever Jesus says to follow him, you actually have to pick up your feet and walk and follow him. You can't just say that, oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you don't actually follow anything that he does. So that's why the disciples said, let us go to die with him. And that's what they said later on in verse 16. And I like those two parts. The first of all, they said, let us go. Meaning they weren't really sure what he meant. So they didn't really sure what he's talking about. But they were willing to follow him anyway. 
Regardless of how directionless they were, they had their eyes on the person who would be their direction. They had their eyes on Jesus, and now that's all that mattered. They didn't know what the des destination held. They didn't know if they were going to die. But they were willing to give up everything. And that's why they said that we may die with him. You see, it's not how long you live, it's how you live. It's what you're doing for the name of Jesus. And realizing that death is only a passageway to see God's glory. You're going to heaven. Who cares if you die? I'm not saying that death isn't like, it's like not a big deal. But the sting of death is gone because Jesus Christ has conquered death. Doesn't mean that it's not hurtful. Doesn't mean that it's not painful in this life. But when you place your trust in Jesus, you don't have to be worried about the end of death because the end of death for the Christian is eternal life. Continuing on now, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, like I said before. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is, who is to come into the world. I love this. Because, you see, it's so important that we, we grasp this right here, that Martha comes out to Jesus and says something. Lord, if you had only been here. You ever look at your situation and say, man, if, if only God did this. If only God showed up. It would have been better. But even now, and this is where she, she saved herself, you see. Because she said, even now, I know that whatever you ask of the Lord, he will give it to you. What she's saying in effect is, yeah, I'm really disappointed because he's dead. I know that you have the power to heal him. You could have saved him. You were the person who healed the blind. You were the person who, who, who did so many miracles. I know that you could have healed him from his sickness. But even now, I trust that you've got it all under control. She wasn't saying that I know that you can raise him from the dead right now. She didn't go that far. She said, I know that you're working together for good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that even when you're disappointed, even when things don't work out the way you planned, a door was closed in front of you, you thought you were following God, you thought you were doing the right thing, and all of a sudden everything's just dropped. You're like, well, what, what is this? God, this was not according to the plan. I did all the right things. What happened? Are you willing to say, you know what? Even though I don't understand, I know that all things work together for good. You're willing to be like Martha and says, you know, even though I don't fully get it, I trust that you get it. And then so Jesus says, listen, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. And then she says, yeah, I know that one day we'll all be resurrected. Because she at least believed that. Because there were Sadducees in that day that didn't even believe in the resurrection at all. But she says, yeah, yeah, when, when God comes back, you know, and we're all resurrected, it's going to be great. She says, no, listen, I am the resurrection right before you. I have the power 
to resurrect the dead. And if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. He says, resurrection, number one, I have the power to raise the dead. And number two, I am the life, which is I am able to give life to the person who is living but is dead. It's not just raising dead bodies, but filling them with life. It's not just bringing them into this kind of vegetable state, but giving them abundant life as well. And that's what Jesus came to do. So the question is, do you believe this? Are you the kind of person who says, even now, Lord, even now, although I've been really disappointed, although I don't know what's going on, I don't understand, even now, are you willing to be that person who says, none of these things move me? I get it, Lord. You're in control. You know, Jesus and his power of radical transformation, the ability to bring life out of dead people, it's so amazing. And what we see in history and what we see in our own lives and in our friends' lives, testimonials of how people were living one way and God just entered life and completely changed it. You know, if you ever feel like you're a person who's sinned too much or you've done too many things wrong, don't believe that about yourself. You're never too far away for the love of God to come in and transform your life. There's a pastor. He's actually Pastor Lloyd's pastor. When he was out in California, he was sent over here uh, to Oldbridge. His name's Raul Reese. I don't know if many of you know his story, but uh, I thought I'd share it with you just because I always knew his story. I just grew up with the story, and I didn't realize that many people didn't. But what's really cool is that here's a man. They actually made a movie about this too. Um, here's a man who was so full of anger. He you know, joined the army for a time. He came back and he was just, he had post-traumatic stress disorder. And because of that, he actually got to the point. He was so filled with anger, so filled with hate. He planned to go kill his wife and child when they came home. And so he had a shotgun waiting in his house, waiting for them to come home. And he was going to kill them that very night. And then the TV was on and he went to go turn off the TV. He hit it. It changed channels to Chuck Smith. And Chuck Smith was giving the gospel. He accepted Jesus, and that was it. And then he, sold, he was sold after the Lord. The Lord just transformed his life instantly. Powerful story. And that's a person who's alive, and that's a person that, you know, you're one person away from knowing him. Isn't that crazy? But that's exactly what God does. It shouldn't surprise us that God gives life to people who are walking around spiritually dead. So it doesn't matter how far away you feel, God is always able to reach you. Do you believe that about people that you don't like? Do you believe that about people that you hate? Is there anyone in your life that you're like, that person is just so far. That person would never accept Jesus. That person is just so evil. Are you praying for that person? Are you praying, Lord, soften their heart? Are you praying, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you. There is no head too hard. And there is no heart too hard that the, the rock, the solid rock of Jesus cannot pierce through. Just like David and Goliath, you know, he just threw that rock and went right through his skull. Doesn't matter how evil, how tall, how big they look, the word of God does not return void. And he's able to reach even the farthest of people. Let's continue on in verse 28. Just make a couple observations here. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were, who were with her in her house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, 
she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, this should dispel any idea that you have that God is this emotionless being that's just up there and just kind of hovering up and it's like, oh, people are suffering and whatever. Jesus has genuine affections and genuine emotions. Jesus really does love you. Jesus really does care for you. And this is actually a poor translation when it talks about groan because that groaning is actually a groaning of anger. So initially he's angered. So you have to ask yourself, well, why, why is he angry? Well, he's angry, and commentators differ on this a little bit, but most would agree that he was both angry and sad because of the unbelief of the people and what sin and death does to us. You see, I don't know if you've ever had a friend stumble into sin, but it's one of the most heart-wrenching things. There's been times in my life where, you know, I've had a close friend stumble into sin, whether it's someone who has sex with their girlfriend, person I grew up with in youth group, they have sex with their girlfriend or whatever, and all these different things. And there's a part of you that just dies inside. And you feel conflicted because part of you is angry. Not angry at them, but angry at the sin, and you see what it does in their life. I've known so many dads that have, I've, not so many, but I've known dads that have walked away from their families. And it makes me angry. And it also makes me really sad. Angry because I hate what sin does and how it deceives people. And sad because it hurts. And here Jesus is sad, not only because it hurts, but also because of the unbelief. They have the resurrection and the life right before them. And they're all mourning. They're all weeping. So here it continues on. In verse 37, And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So Jesus hates sin and hates what, what death does to people. You know, and that's why he does something about it. But he, he says something interesting here. He says to roll away the stone. Why is it that Jesus didn't just kind of like hover the, the stone, levitate the stone, move away? Well, I think that it could possibly be that there is a part of us that stinks. It's called the flesh. It's called sin. Sin is rotten. It stinks. And, you know, Lazarus was in there for four days. He's smelling, you know, his body's decomposing. And that's why, why, that's why she was like, well, do we really want to roll away the stone? It's going to smell really bad. It's going to be even more depressing. But God wants you to uncover the sin in your life. Wants you to expose it. And say, here I am, Lord. Before he can raise the dead, you have to admit that you're dead. You have to say, Lord, here I am. Here's my sin. You have to confess it. You have to do that work. 
You have to come before the Lord before you're willing to accept that free gift of eternal life. You need to remove that barrier. Expose the sin. Also, interestingly enough, um, later on in that verse, uh, let's continue on. It says in verse 42, And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth, and he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. You know that God always hears you? This is what Jesus says Father, I know that you hear me. You always hear me. And the only reason I'm praying out loud is for everyone else, that they would know that you're doing the work. You see, Jesus was praying all the time. He was praying without ceasing, constant communion with the Father. And so he prayed for the belief of the other people around him. You realize that God hears every single prayer that you pray. And so then something else interesting happens. The guy, Lazarus, is healed. He's resurrected. And he's wrapped up tightly in these grave clothes. He starts bouncing out. He's swaddling out like this. And Jesus, once again doesn't just remove the grave clothes and like he can walk out freely magically and just whoosh, whoosh, using his Jesus magic. Instead, he says, loose him and let him go. You see, because as Christians, you'll be healed, you'll be resurrected, you'll be given new life, but it's up to the people around you and your responsibility to be discipled, to be, grow, to, to be growing, to get rid of those, those old habits, those old grave clothes, to cast them off and say, I'm walking in newness of life. There are a lot of people that are full of life now, but they're still walking with their dead man's clothes. You need to put that off and put on the new man. Some of you are still cursing. Some of you are still using filthy language. You're still talking about like filthy things. Some of you, are, are, you have bad habits and you need to let go of them. And you need other people in your life that are willing to point that out. You need a Paul, you need a Timothy, you need a person who's going to mentor you, a person you can disciple. You need people around you, the body of Christ, who is willing to point those things out to you. Let me share with you a story. How many of you, by a show of hands, know the band As, As I Lay Dying? Okay, here's a, a popular Christian band, metalcore band. They're actually one of the pioneers of Christian hardcore music. And so they're really popular, and many of you heard last year, the lead singer, Tim, uh, tried to commit a, a hire-for-murder plot against his ex-wife. And so he, he was trying to hire someone to kill his ex-wife for $1,000, and then he actually got caught because the guy he was asking was an undercover cop, and so he got put in jail. And so everyone's like, what's happening to this guy? He's a Christian band. And actually, in his emails to his ex-wife, it came out in court, he said things like, I don't love you anymore, and I don't believe in God anymore. And so now, recently, what's come out six days ago is a series of interviews with that lead singer. I was just really interested in it because, you know, this is a band that I listen to and a lot of my friends listen to. How did this man get in this place? Well, he talked about, he left, you know, he grew up in youth group. He went to church, and he loved, and the reason why he adopted three kids from Ethiopia is because he wanted to reach the people that no one else wanted to adopt at that time. So he adopted three kids from Ethiopia and he raised them with his wife. But as he was touring, as he was going out, he spent less and less time with his wife. And there was division there. And then they're fighting over the kids, constantly fighting and stuff. And it got to the point, because he was taking uh, classes online and philosophy. And then he started giving up his faith slowly 
because he was watching people like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, the four horsemen of the new atheism. And because of that, he was starting to doubt his faith, like many of you will probably start doing as soon as you go to college. And people tell you things and people put things a certain way. Like, wow, I never thought about that. But here's the really important thing. He said the atheism that he saw that brought up good points gave him reasons to follow after atheism because he no longer had to be morally accountable for the decisions that he made. When you don't believe in God and moral absolutes, why should I commit to my wife? It's just a piece of paper given to me by the government. That's literally what he said in this interview. And so as he started casting away his idea of God, it enabled him to live this moralist life. Now this is, this is where it all comes together. The other thing that really disturbed me is he started taking steroids, he started cheating on his wife, he started doing all these things. None of his band members said anything about it. They're in a Christian band. Yeah, we're all Christians. We're all representing Jesus. It would get to the point where he'd go out into shows and kids would come up and say, hey, Tim, would you pray for me? And he'd say, well, yeah, well, yeah I'll just, whatever. Why don't you pray and put his hand on them? And he says, well, I don't want to discourage them, but I'm not a Christian anymore, so I'm not going to tell them that. So he would just have that front and no one around him would hold them accountable or say anything about it. That is why it is so important that we meet together as a youth group, as a group of believers, and we're constantly making sure that our hearts are not becoming hard. We're pointing out sin in each other's life. We need to remove those old grave clothes and say, hey, listen, the road that you're going down is dangerous. Warn each other daily. Do not become hardened against the good news of Jesus and what he has to say to you. It doesn't have to be this youth group. It's not about us and Impact and Calvary Chapel Oldbridge. The question is, do you have people in your life that are constantly holding you accountable or are you all drifting away together? Are you all wearing the same old clothes and you're all drifting away together? Continue on. Almost done. Verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen the things Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, this is really funny, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. You see how selfish these people were? These Pharisees, these religious leaders, were only concerned about their own position. They said, if people are following Jesus, then the Roman government's going to be all stirred up and they're not going to let us have our positions. Because while the Romans were taking over Israel and, and the Jewish people, they were still allowing some Pharisees and some religious leaders to hold governmental positions just so they didn't have to be on their backs and they wouldn't be so much stressed for the Roman government. So they loved it. They were comfortable in it. But remember what we said about comfort zones a couple weeks ago. Don't let your comfort zone become your coffin. Don't let the place where you're so comfortable, and I don't want to leave. It's, it's nice having this position in authority. It's nice doing all these things. Don't let that be the place that you die. Be willing to step out and say, you know what? There are things that are right. It doesn't matter if it's not pragmatic. It doesn't matter if it doesn't just work out for me. I want to do what pleases God. Continuing on in verse 49. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider it, consider that it's expedient for us, in other words, pragmatic or practical for us, that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Now, he, he, he did not say this on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. 
And not only that, that nation only, but also that he would gather together in, in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there he remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they saw Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. And now what we're going to see in this, uh, continuing on in the book of John, what we're going to see is people are constantly going to be looking for ways to get rid of Jesus and to persecute him, to trap him, and crucify him. So this high priest Caiaphas had this really interesting thing happen to him. He had this double entendre. He said something and had a double meaning, and he didn't even realize it. He said, guys, listen, no, this is good. It's better that one man dies for us than the whole nation dies. But when he said that, what he meant was, it's better that Jesus dies than all of us get subject to the Romans. But God meant it under the influence of the Holy Spirit, saying, yes, Jesus will die for all the nations so that we don't have to. You see, the reason why Jesus died on the cross is so that death would not ever be the end of the story. It's so that we don't have to have death be the only thing. We don't have to await hell and punishment and all that evil. If you place your trust in Jesus, you'll never have to go there. You'll never have to go to that place of suffering. So are you willing to get out of that comfort zone? Are you willing to do something about the fact that people around you don't know the good news? Are you willing to go out and share those cards that I just handed out tonight? Are you willing to reach those people? You know, some, some people, this is a really important point, so look up here. Some people, the only time you think about uh, your witness is when you curse. You're like, oh man, I just blew my witness. Some people, the only time they think about their witness is when they blow it. Are you conscious about who you're influencing? That there are people around you that need that good news. There are dead people that need to be resurrected to life. They're looking for that, that place of safety. They're looking to run to someone who cares, that knows them intimately. They're looking for hope. They're looking for a savior. And if you have it, let's be the people that are willing to share it with others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good news. We thank you, Lord, that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, I pray for boldness. I pray for joy, the sweetness of Jesus to be the thing that surrounds us, not the, the stench of sin. Let's not walk with our grave clothes. Let's not walk with that old man. But really, since we have been made new in Christ, help us, Lord, to walk with your fragrance. That people would just sense something different about us. Lord, we can't do that apart from your spirit. And so we need you, Lord to help us, empower us for service, to walk into school tomorrow. Not tomorrow because it's Saturday. Monday. Monday we're off. Tuesday. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> help us to walk into school and people to just notice something different about us. Help us to represent you well, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for joy and, and being able to just have a great time of fellowship with each other. May we be able to share that the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.